Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. We, uh, we had some work done here at the church. You may have noticed on your way in, there's a new scanner. And as you come in, what it does is it scans your heart and it puts your sin in a database. <laughs> Along with your picture. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be great? That we could just scan you and go, wow, I didn't know. Woo! Probably good. We don't have that ability. I'm just kidding. Don't worry. Don't worry. You're... We don't know what sin you've committed, or maybe we do. Makes you a little nervous, though, doesn't it? Boy, but you know, every time you come before the Lord, it works just like that. He knows. He knows. The next five weeks, we're going to be talking about the five things that we get through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Five things that are available, and one of them is dealing with our sin. The most important one is He deals with our sin. Today's title is, this, this series is called Walking in the Light, and today's title is Dealing with the Problem of Sin. It's a bad word, I know. It's a little uncomfortable. Um, we've come here hoping to deal with it, or maybe we've came here today hoping that we already have dealt with it. But, you know, some people feel like it's not a problem at all. Some people feel like, you know, I've really matured in my life to the point where my sin is really, it's really just misunderstanding. I don't ever really want to sin, you know, really. It just, it happens, it, it's just that, that it just doesn't work out like I want it to sometimes. I don't mean, I'm really better than everybody. I don't, and we almost don't say it, but I, I don't really sin. Well, I want to talk today about the cure for sin and how we deal with it because it was a big deal to Jesus Christ, wasn't it? It's a big deal to Jesus Christ because He went to the cross and paid a horrible price. In public, embarrassing, belittling, painful, spiritually devastating. And you wonder, why did, why did he have to do all that for my little sin? Well, let me just remind you that sin is not little to God. It says in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Any sin, all sin, whatever sin, he had to go to the cross to pay for my sin and to pay for your sin. Dr. Henry Brandt, who helped start the, uh, was one of the first psychologists in the PBA uh, psychology department, uh, wrote a book called Heart of the Problem. He says this, you can suffer greatly from the ravages of sin while you are sincerely and carefully trying to correct the suffering by following the wrong diagnosis and the wrong treatment. You can be so well-intentioned. You know, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm fixing it. It's all going to be fine. But if you don't have the right diagnosis, you're not really treating the right thing, are you? 
Years ago, our kids were little, I woke up with a splitting headache. Had nothing to do with the kids, probably. But I, um, I just woke up and I had this unbelievable pain. And I was like, this is terrible. And I was starting to get physically nauseous and sick. And I, this is terrible. And I, I just got worse and worse. And then I watched the Dolphins lose a playoff game and it got even worse. And I called a good friend of mine who was my doctor, thankfully, and I said, Michael, man, I described my symptoms. He goes, man, listen, if this doesn't get better in the next hour, I want you to meet me in the ER. ER? I thought he'd just prescribe something over the phone. He goes, no, I want you to meet me in the ER. So I did. About an hour later, uh, didn't get better. I called him. He met me in the ER, and um, he examined me, and he said, listen, I'm calling in a neurologist. And I thought, oh. I said, well, listen, while you're doing that, could I have something? Some kind of pain med. Surely you can do something about this pain because my head is splitting open at this moment. And you know what he said to me? My dear friend who loved me, you know what he looked at me and he said? No. No. Why? I need relief here. He goes, no, if we give you relief, we're not going to be able to accurately diagnose you. You see, relief is like that, isn't it? If you give someone relief, because the doctor, he's going to come and he's going to want to test different parts of you. And if you don't have, if you have, have covered, the, covered the, the pain, we won't know really what to do. We'll never get to a cure. And I was happy about that. Okay. Withhold the relief so we can get to a cure. When we think of our lives... There is so much relief out there today. There's so many ways to soothe and cover the pain in our lives that sin causes. So many ways to do that. There's, there's, there's places you can go you know, for retreats and there's, there's people you can be with that make you feel better and there's friends who will say, oh, it's not a problem and they'll just make you... But you know, then maybe you're going to go to a place to, to just... I just got to get away from everybody and if I can just, just get away from people, <laughs> I, I won't be bothered as much and maybe I won't be anxious as much. I won't be angry as much. Maybe that... But then you know the problem with... Finding your peace and your comfort in places? The problem is, you bring yourself along. If you could leave yourself behind, you know, it, might, it might work, but you've, you brought yourself who's really the, really the problem. So relief can keep us from getting the cure. And sometimes the pain is what tells us we need to get a cure. See, sin's a big problem. And I know when I say that word, some of you might just go, I don't want to talk about this anymore. But sin's a big problem. And I'm going to submit to you that's probably your biggest problem. Wayne Grudem, the Guy, one of the guys who helped develop the ESV version, which is the version we use here on Sunday mornings, uh, also wrote a systematic theology book that I had in, in seminary. And he's, his definition of sin, he says, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. In literal terms, it means to miss the mark. 
to fail to adhere to the standard of God. And you know, it's insidiously attractive, isn't it? Think of your favorite sin or the one that you fall into the most. You don't fall into it because you hate it. You fall into it because that's it's attractive. It's what you like. It appeals to you on some level. Adam and Eve found this out. It can be really difficult to stand against in Genesis 3, 6. You know the story. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Sin is born out of rebellion and prideful desire. That's really what it is at its core. They wanted to have what God said they could not have. They rebelled. They listened to this desire for what? Beauty, for pleasure, and to be made great. You will be like God. You will know the difference between right and wrong. You will will have this whole thing that God is withholding from you. I'm going to give it to you through this forbidden fruit, says the enemy. Oh, but the consequences. The consequences. The consequences are terrible. On through Genesis 3, you hear the curse for the woman is this pain and childbearing, which is really one of her main purposes. It's going to be really painful, really difficult. Uh, Also, that she would have the desire to rule over her husband, but he'll rule over her. There's going to be a problem in the relationship. And for the man, the, the curse is that you're going to have to work hard and you're going to have to bring food out of the dust, but it's, it's going to be difficult by the sweat of your brow and you're going to fight thorns and thistles and all those kinds of things and, and you're going to return to the dust from which you came. In other words, you're going to die. You're going to die. And then God is speaking amongst the Trinity saying, He's, he's like us now. Now what He's going to do, He's going to reach out and we've got, we've got to get him out of the garden because that's where the tree of life is. And if he reaches out and eats of the tree of, of life, he'll live forever, but he'll live forever in a sinful, flawed, horrible state. We can't allow that to happen. So there's a separation and the intimacy with God is interrupted. And Adam and Eve are pushed out of the garden to live a more distant relationship from God the Father who would be with them on a daily basis. So sin really has three major effects. And see if you've experienced these. Sin always interrupts fellowship with God. That close behavior, that closeness, it always interrupts your fellowship and your closeness to God. But it also always interrupts fellowship with others. You never sin in a vacuum. It affects somebody else. It affects your closest relationships and virtually any relationship. And third, sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. 
It's interesting that God said when you eat the fruit, you're going to die. And what he meant was that you are going to live this long, drawn-out death, really. It's a death march to your graves. You're going to die. But they don't die right away. They do die eventually. And sin leads to death. You see, no matter how much we try to avoid it, dance around it, rebrand it, sin is a huge problem for everyone. But there is a cure. There is a cure. Henry Brandt says it is, if it's sin, that's good news. It's not good news that you've sinned, but if you can identify it as sin, there's hope for that. There's an answer for that. It's the simplest thing in the world to deal with. Jesus died to cleanse us from sin. Well, then how do I access that? How do I access what Jesus did for me? I love Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Holy Spirit is falling. Had to be the most exciting day ever, don't you think? This incredible time when the Holy Spirit is pouring through these people and they are they're shouting the message of Jesus in the languages of the people in the language they didn't even know. People responded, what should we do? In verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Very simply, turn. Repentance means to turn. To turn around. To go in the other direction. It requires that I admit that my direction is wrong. Every time you turn around, you've admitted that if I keep going in this direction, it's not going to get me where I want to go. And to follow Jesus and to receive His gift of salvation requires that my life is a sinful life and I've got to turn around in order to get to where I want to go. You can't follow Jesus and go the same way you've always gone. You have to turn around. It means coming to Jesus and saying, I want to take up a posture. I want to take up a posture of repentance. You are Lord. I'm a sinner. And I want to take up a posture where my life is characterized by repentance before you, Jesus. I love J.D. Greer's uh, little book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. He says this, Don't try to find assurance from a prayer you, paid, you, you prayed in the past. Let me just... Here's what I'm trying to say. Some people, sometimes I'll say, well, I know I'm saved because I had an experience. I, I know I'm saved because I, long ago, when I was nine years old, I was baptized. Listen, that should be the start. But if nothing's happened since then, that shouldn't give you a lot of assurance. And we're going to talk about assurance next Sunday. So come and we're going to explore that whole idea. How do I know? How do I know I'm a follower? How do I know I'm in Christ? How do I know that? You don't put your assurance in an event that happened long ago. You put your assurance, rather... And what's happening now, what's happened since this. He says, find your assurance by resting in the present on what Jesus did in the past. That should be our lives. God, I'm not trusting you because I've been a good person. I'm not trusting you because I've been to church. I'm trusting in your salvation and what you did so long ago. That's why I'm at peace because I know you did what you said you did. I know that. And I'm living my life trusting that. He says, there's only one posture ever appropriate to Christ. Surrender to His Lordship and believing that He did what He said He did. 
See, it's the opposite of the garden event, right? In the garden, Adam and Eve say, we want what you said we can't have. We are Lord. You're not our Lord anymore. We want to be Lord. That's the essence of every sin. When I take a positive repentance, I'm saying, Jesus, you're Lord. I want what you give me. I'm trusting in what you did to save me. That's how you access what God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. It's a life that's trusting in Jesus, living a repentant rather than a prideful life. Which leads to the next question. All right, Steve, I've received the gift of salvation. I've been baptized. I go to church sometimes, maybe a lot. Is it a problem that I still sin? Because some people would say, well, you know what, if Jesus paid for all my sin, then I should just keep on sinning, and as Paul said, that grace may abound, which is a horrible idea, right? But sometimes that gets into our lives, and you know, well, should I do this? Well, Jesus already paid for it. It's kind of like going to a buffet. It's paid for. I'm going to keep eating. It's not like that at all, though, is it? There is no one who genuinely loves someone who intentionally dishonors them. Right? You don't love anyone that you just go, hey, you know what? She'll forgive me. <laughs> She'll forgive me. I'm going to go ahead and dishonor her. I'm going to go out to the clubs and do whatever. No one would. You don't believe that, do you? You don't believe that. And why would we say to the God of the universe who suffered on a cross to pay for my sin and say to him, hey, I'm just going to keep sinning because you already paid for it. No one really thinks like that, do they? Scripturally, 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Listen, if you're telling me, telling Jesus, Hey, I'm walking with you, but I'm actually you know, sinning. and I'm, You're in light, I'm in darkness. You're not with someone if you're in darkness and they're in light. You can't be in darkness and light at the same time. And then later, 1 John 2, 3 says this, And by this we know that we have come to Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is what? Is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. It's not saying that you're perfect. What He's saying is your life is generally aligned to keep His commandments, and you live a repentant life. But if you say, hey, I'm just going well, to keep sinning, doesn't matter to me, then you don't really know Him. It should be a alarm light, a red light on your dashboard saying something is desperately wrong. You cannot love Him and not want to please Him. It just doesn't work that way. There are consequences for sin. But know this, if you sin as a believer, your legal status doesn't change. Jesus already paid for your sin. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can't sin your way out of Christ's grace if in fact you've ever actually entered it. But there are some consequences. And here's three of them. And This may sound familiar. It may rattle some, some stuff in your own heart. There is a thing called God's discipline. There is a thing, if you're in sin... 
you're in rebellion, there is a thing called God's discipline. Hebrews 12.10 says, For they, referring to fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good. That we may share His holiness. God loves you so much. So we often say there's nothing worse than being comfortably separated from God. If you can be separated from Him, if you can walk away from Him, and you can just be comfortable and happy, I don't think you know Him. He allows us to enter into some difficult times, and He even disciplines us to bring us back to the place where we say, I want to come home. I want to come home. Some people will, you know, will say, you know, something bad happened. Or something that I really wanted to happen didn't happen. I didn't get that job. Relationship didn't work the way I wanted. God must be punishing me. And when anybody says that, the first question I want to ask, well, does something come to mind? I mean, is there something that immediately when that happened, there was a conviction in your heart that you've walked away from God in a certain area? Does something come to mind? When I was a kid, I've told this story before, but it applies really well here. I, I really wanted to go out with this girl who was a member of a non-Christian group, let's just say. And she was a nice girl, but she wasn't a follower of Jesus. And I was excited, had a date with her. I drove over to see my buddy, got, in, got out of my car, didn't put it in neutral. I put, left it in neutral, walked away from my car, and a car rolled down a hill. I caught it just as it hit a curb. Thought I'd stopped it. But you know what? It's hard to stop a big vehicle going downhill. Not even a high school stud football player could stop it. There wasn't one there, but if there had been, you know what? Immediately I was convicted. Something bad happens and you're immediately convicted. God's probably disciplining you. Right? Always ask the question, God, have I sinned? And you always go before Him. Bad things happen to everybody, right? But if you're convicted, He's trying to deal with your heart. God, have I withheld something from you? Something you can't have? What's going on there? Just know this. God disciplines those that He loves. Always be running to Him saying, God, I, I'm, I repent. I didn't go out with her, incidentally. And the car didn't hurt anybody. And it wasn't a big deal, but it scared me to death. So, God might be disciplining. Are you submissive to Him in your life? Second consequence could be this. And this one, I think, hurts at a deep level. You cannot bear spiritual fruit that otherwise you could have easily been able to bear. John 15, 4 and 5 says this, Abide in me, and I in you. I love this. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Followers of Jesus don't wake up in the morning and go, man, how am I going to bear some fruit? I got to bear some good fruit today. I just, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to try really. No, the fathers of Jesus that want to bear fruit, they just stay connected to Him. And you should be naturally bearing fruit if you stay connected to Him, if you walk in the light, if you live with Him, if you abide with Him. It should be a normal thing that you bear fruit. 
So many times in years counseling people, Julie and I have heard this phrase. Well, I made that decision when I was far from God. I made that life-altering bad decision when I wasn't abiding in Him. And it breaks your heart. The years of missed opportunity for God to do amazing things. And they're grateful that we're having that conversation right now. We're thrilled that they're, they've returned. But you miss the fruit that could have been born if you'd been attached to the vine. Don't miss what God wants to do. Because you've chosen relief over cure. Because you've chosen your sin over Him. He wants to do amazing things through you. Don't miss it. Third, consequence of sin is you can become a slave to it. A slave to it. It starts to own you. Romans 6.16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, who am I presenting myself? If I present myself to sin, it owns me. If I present myself to Christ, He owns me. You know, He already paid for me. I don't want to be a slave to sin. I want to be a slave to Jesus. He's worth it, and he's doing far better things than sin ever could. Wayne Grudem writes, If our goal is to grow in increasing fullness of life until the day we die and pass into the presence of God in heaven, to sin is to do an about face and begin to walk downhill away from the goal of likeness to God. It is to go in the direction that leads to death and eternal separation from God. The direction from which we were rescued when we became Christians. It's to go in the other direction. To miss out. To be a slave. That's what it means. That's what, to be disciplined. That's what sin does. So the question really is easy. Is it sin? Is it sin in your life today? I love that in the model prayer, Jesus includes a prayer of repentance. It should encourage all of you who sinned today already, or this week. Because Jesus wanted that to be a normal part of our conversation with, with God, was to say, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of my debts as I forgive those who are indebted to me. Forgive me of my sin. It should be a normal part of your life. Some people say, you know, well, I've repented, but I still feel guilty. Well, if that's the case... I would encourage you to spend some extra time asking God what you ought to repent of. Or your spouse, either one. There's often we repent of everything but the thing. And a lot of times, if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, sometimes we've walled off that thing, and you can't get to it, Lord, because that's just how I am, and I can't get over that. Oh, he wants to get to that. He wants to get to that. And that's really the question. How do we function? You all have, we all have some kind of consistent issues in our lives that we struggle with. You have sinful tendencies. How do I wrestle with those effectively? 
How do I deal with those? Let me just give you three strategies that I think are very, very helpful. Number one, make sure that you walk in the light. Make sure that you walk in the light. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light. Walk around other people who are in the light. I'm so glad that Gary Templeton's family is here because we see why he walks in the light. Amen? Good to see you all. All right. Thank you for sharing that. I was waiting to get that in at some point. You all were here this week, right? Praise God. Grateful for you and grateful for Gary and Shelly and their family. Who are you walking with? It's a dark world out there. We're not intentional about who we're walking with. It's really hard to stay out of our sin issues. You're always going to tend to be around people who sin just like you. Unless you're intentional about it. You're a mean, nasty person. You tend to hang around with people who are mean and nasty. You have a problem with lust. You tend to hang around with people who have a problem with lust. You have a problem with anger. You hang around with angry people. You have a problem with lying. You tend to hang around with liars. Walk in the light. Choose people to be close to. Your closest friends have got to be walking with Jesus. That's why we have a church, one thing. Make those your closest friends. Yes, you need to reach the lost, but if you're not walking in the light, you can't reach the lost. And if you're dating students, you need to be dating people who are walking in the light. Because that's the person going to be closest to you the rest of your life if you marry them. Don't date a non-candidate. Say, well, no one's perfect. No one is. Walk in the light. Date people who are following Jesus. Befriend people who are following Jesus. Intentionally call people. Have coffee with them. Have lunch. Join a life group. People who are walking in the light. A much better chance of walking in the light if you're around people who are also walking in the light. Second, trade sin for virtue. I love that our young adults are reading the book, Why Do I Do What I Don't Want to Do by Pudlucka and Green, is it talks about replacing sin with virtue. Sometimes we just try to get rid of a sin and we don't put anything back. And the point of the book is you need to replace things like pride with humility. Anger with forgiveness. See, following Jesus and becoming more Christ-like is a work that's always in progress. It's something I always want to be improving. It's something I always want to get closer to Jesus. I always want to spend more time with Him. I always want to be repenting less of the same sin, but if I don't repent of it, I'm never going to get down that road. Trade sin for virtue. And then finally, you need to pray for help. You need to pray for help. When you feel like you might be heading down that road to the typical sinful thing that you usually do, I love the last verse of of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you lead me, Lord, away away from the pathways that I always take? When you start to feel that, you start to get in that situation, you're like, well, this is where I usually start to lie. Or this is the, the, my favorite uh, sin that's most acceptable to most Christians is to covet. Well, I wish I had that. 
I wish they didn't have that and I had it. It's easy down here because a lot of people, there's always someone who has more than you, right? Even though we are blessed to live in this incredible place and uh, if you're an American, you are more wealthy than probably 95% of the world. Lord, lead us not into temptation. It's a prayer. If you begin to pray that prayer, when you start to feel you're heading down that road, He will begin to change your path. God, I'm trusting you with my path because I'm not strong enough to stay on your path. So what about you? Is it sin? Have you been just getting relief for it? Have you just been soothing it over? Have those around you just learned to deal with that? Could there be a cure? Could you ask Jesus to forgive you because you know the way you've been living is wrong. You know that mindset is wrong. You know that attitude is wrong. You know you need to turn away from that activity. You need to get different friends. You need to build a different community. Don't go away saying, well, I'm just going to try harder. Please don't. Please don't do that. Please don't hear me say that. When you hear the word sin, it doesn't mean try harder. It means repent, right? We would rather just try harder because then we could feel good about ourselves. Well, I can stop doing that. Let me just tell you, you cannot. And you cannot make up for your sin. Jesus Christ had to pay for it. Sin's a big problem. Jesus paid for it. When you repent, you get to access it. Access His payment for your sin. As 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. It's the right thing for Him to do, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make Him known. We cry out, we cry out.